This is Contentshu, the podcast, episode 295 for the week of April 15th, 2012. Welcome, one and all, to Contentshu, the podcast, an extension of the all encompassing Dragon Ball fan site. Contentshu. That's right. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. Of course, we have to have the entertainer, right, Corey? Always. So, Mike is on vacation this weekend, and if you can call it vacation, I think he's actually working. But he's not around, and hell, I texted him and said, you know what, Mike, I'm going to do a podcast. And so here we are. I called up Corey and said, hey, buddy, you want to join me? And he actually showed up for once. I know. Look at that. Internet didn't (laughs) fail him. So, uh... That's it. It's me and Corey. We're going to hang out. We're going to shoot the shit and uh, see what we can throw out for a podcast episode. So hopefully we have something entertaining for everyone. Uh, how you been doing, Corey? We haven't really talked to you in a while since, you know, your internet crashed and you can never join us. <laughs> uh, I've been all right. Uh, surprisingly enough, I've been investing myself in other things and, uh, you know, just running all over the place. Age is catching up to me. <laughs> I think age is catching up to all of us. I know. It's that real life stuff that you never account for and then all of a sudden it's there, right? Exactly. It sneaks up on you. So anyway, I am Heath. I guess we should do introductions. We didn't really do too much, but you may know me as Hugio Online. I am Heath, your faithful host for this podcast episode. And join me is Corey. And of course, today we are going to be talking about Toriyama's manga progression and its evolution. So I think it's going to be an interesting topic. Uh, Mike and the gang recently finished up the whole manga review of Awesomeness. So I thought, hey, why don't we delve back into the manga a little bit and forget that GT stuff and take a look at exactly how Toriyama came up with some of his ideas and just his artistic style and how he developed his manga. So with that, I think we're going to hit up some news. So first up this week, uh, we have some depressing news, and I figured we might as well get this out of the way to begin with, but Takeshi Aono passed away on the morning of April 9th. He was 75, and that was very sad news, I think, for many people, not only in the Dragon Ball world, but just in so many great series that he's been involved in, and he was also a, a theatrical actor of sorts. Uh, he had many friends within the acting community in Japan and across the globe. So is is truly a tragic loss. But in June 2010, he actually suffered a stroke after undergoing surgery for an aortic aneurysm. So in a way, it's kind of nice that he was able to leave the world not having to sit here suffering. But still, he will be greatly missed. Uh, the news was first made public by his good friend and fellow voice actress Eiko Yamada, and Dragon Ball fans may know her as the voice of Mai. Uh, she posted this up via her Twitter account. Takeshi Aono of Theater Troupe Geikyo passed away this morning. I liked his plays where he was way too serious. He was wonderful as a voice actor too, but he was something special on the stage. He was a presence that was overwhelming and full of life. How can he be gone? I offer my sincerest prayers. Now, Dragon Ball fans Fans may remember him as the voice of Ninja Murasaki, Piccolo Daimao, and of course, the one and only Kamisama or God. So, again, just so sad that these things keep happening. Any thoughts, Corey? Well, I mean, it's it's very sad, but it kind of uh, 
goes back to what we talked about here not too long ago, or I think maybe it was a year ago, the way I'm losing track of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're getting to that time, unfortunately, where a lot of these actors and actresses are getting to that age where we, unfortunately, in the next decade are going to see a lot of them uh, probably pass away. So, like you said, though, I mean, thankfully... You know, this was a case where he had suffered a uh, aneurysm and had been essentially debilitated in a hospital for, uh, what, two years almost. So. Yeah, June 2010. So he was coming exactly. up on two years here. Yeah. So it's I mean, it's sad and it's thankfully there's a body of work that's left to, uh, you know, to pay tribute to his contributions. But mm-hmm. it's it's something that not to be morbid, we're going to see a lot more of, I think, going forward, which I shudder to think about it, but it's something, unfortunately, that we'll have to, I guess, prepare ourselves for. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those things when you look back at the cast, how it was such an eclectic group, because Mm -hmm. at the time when Dragon Ball was being animated, we had voice actors that were veterans and older, but they actually brought in a bunch of new cast members, and it's quite a wide range of age groups for Dragon Ball. But even at this point now, you know, we're in 2012. Even a lot of the younger ones are now in their their 40s and 50s. So, Absolutely. yeah, it's just kind of crazy. It's something we experienced with Kai, and, you know, now we're seeing with video games. You know, a lot of these people are being replaced. So it's it makes you wonder, I guess, just how far it'll go. Because obviously, you know, a notation, I think, was made uh, on the side, I think, about a lot of his roles being given to someone else when he first was hospitalized. Yeah, I think it was uh, Shimada Bin. Yeah, it's just one of those those sad, sad days. And you, you brought up Kai, and you think about it, though. At that point, the majority of the main roles were maintained by the original voice actors. So a lot of the replacements haven't affected a lot of those. And I think it's going to come to the point sometime where when say, Frieza and Goku and Cell, and a lot of those main actors start getting replaced, that's when people are really going to notice. That's what I wonder, because, I mean, we have, you know, in the United States, we have a culture where, you know, you're, uh, you're really prolific characters, your Mickey Mouse, your Donald Ducks, etc. There's always someone waiting in the wings, essentially, to carry on a spot imitation, I guess, of the original voice. But I mean, you don't really have that so much with Japanese uh, anime, from what I've noticed, because, you know, people will get replaced and they'll have a a similar tonality, but it won't be an outright, you know, imitation. Right. So it just makes me wonder at what point will they stop, I guess, new projects, maybe? I mean, Mm -hmm. we've had that happen right now, arguably, because of interest in the series, you know, trying to kind of wait and let interest build again since they've kind of oversaturated the brand but i just wonder i guess which actor's passing or retirement or whatever is actually going to drastically retailer the series i guess yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple years even I mean, hopefully the longer the better, but we'll see. Well, they've also got that vault full of material, as we know. (laughs) That's true. So anyway, we might as well pick up the spirits a little here now that we've been so morbid. And uh, start us off on the right note, as you said, moving on and trying to be more uh, lighthearted. Earlier this week, Yuriko Mori, the original lyricist for me of Dragon Ball songs, tweeted a link to a new commercial for Toyota's Sienta car. Uh, The commercial features a parodied version of the Dragon Ball opening theme, Makafushigi Adventure, sung by TV personality and children's entertainer, entertainer Shoko Haida. The video can be viewed on the Kanzenshu homepage, so be sure to check it out. And, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I just did myself, and you're in for a, uh, a surprise or 
something unique at the very I least. Think, I think it's a nice treat, you know. It, it is. I think it's always nice to see something that pays tribute. Oh yeah, definitely. I Julian originally had had tweeted this to Mike and myself, and he's like, "Is this news?" We said, "Hell yeah, post it." So, <laughs> uh, yeah, he posted it, and it it's just really neat to see some of this stuff and how Dragon Ball is really worked its way into the Japanese culture, even to this day, when you consider that in the United States, many people just think of Dragon Ball Z. But I mean, this is parodying a Dragon Ball theme song. So, you know, ever since that time, it's really just saturated the Japanese culture. And it is just really neat to see some of these things, you know, in 2012 popping up. It's really cute. If you haven't checked it out, yeah, definitely go take a look. Does that mean that we're going to get our own, like, Step into the Grand Tour commercial for the uh, new Toyota car. Um, like kids walking around with like blink and like flicking people off and stuff because they've got I attitude. God, I hope not. <laughs> so moving on, uh, Namco Bandai had a press event the other week. They held a Global Gamers Day in Las Vegas on April 11th, and among some other announcements, they decided to announce. Dragon Ball Z for Connect. Now, before I go on and mention everything else, I just want to get Corey's reaction to the artwork. Corey, what do you think? Um, you have an image in front of you. I do. What do you think about the logo? I mean, the logo itself, do you mean the depiction of Shenlong or the... Yeah, it says Dragon Ball Z for Connect. This has been an interesting tidbit online, and I know you haven't quite been keeping up with this, so I just wanted to get your gut reaction to how they created this logo. Am I looking for something specifically? Because by my own admission, I'm pretty exhausted at the moment. <laughs> Look at this. You're killing it. Uh, so Dragon Ball Z 4 Connect, the logo, it just looks like they took a horrible font and put 4 Connect under the Dragon Ball Z logo. Oh, well, if that's what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. I thought there was something more. Uh, oh, no. I thought there was something beyond like the initial impression. <laughs> nope. I thought you were going to say, look, they copied and pasted letters and reversed them and cut them up. Yeah, they used a they used a quite a cheap font as yeah. is as is expected, unfortunately. So I think a lot of people are just they want to know: is this the actual logo, or is this just something that Bondi threw together real quick to throw on a QR card? But I would lay money that that is going to be the final logo. Yeah, unfortunately. So anyway, after that fun excursion, uh, the game will indeed contain thirty minutes of exclusive animation, which we had kind of confirmed prior to this but the characters will be unlocked via qr cards and there were some that they passed out uh we have some images up on the side if you want to go look at those um, at the press event themselves the game will be playable from a first person perspective which you know it's the connect we already kind of knew that but the game will contain over a hundred moves that the user can perform, including the legendary Kamehameha. So this game is due out in October, and I know everyone's going to go out and buy an Xbox 360 with Kinect so that they can play this bad boy. Now following, Funimation actually issued a press release almost entirely independent of Bondi, and I'm just going to read one quick little section, and we'll go from there. So here's from Funimation's press release. They said, There's going to be no better feeling in the world for fans of the Dragon Ball Z series than standing in front of their screens and unleashing their own fists and raging blasts upon uh. enemies with this game, said Carlson Choi. Vice President of Marketing, Namco Bandai Games, America. So, Corey, your thoughts? You know, sometimes you just read something that makes you really want to look at the possibility of taking up recreational drug abuse. 
because wow. Yeah. <laughs> Did they so. have to throw in like the little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, raging blasts? Like, hey. It's different, but we did games before that sold badly, so if you haven't bought them yet, you should. I'm just intrigued to see what this is going to be like, even though I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what this is going to be like. Uh, I I think we're going to have to really wait on Mike's opinion, because I know Mary says they're going to buy an Xbox just so they can play this, and more so so they can play other games. Let me throw a couple of things out there that come to mind. Okay, go for it. A... They're saying, you know, it'll contain 30 minutes of exclusive animation. I think that's what they have found is their key to selling new games. Yes. Because it seems like that's the one thing they can put out there that, oh, you know, even casual fans will pick up to kind of watch it. Or diehard fans, really, will pick up to Mm -hmm. watch it that aren't Yeah, kind of the, even though you may not like this game because you haven't really liked a lot of the other games we've done recently, we're still going to give you this new footage and we know you love new footage. Exactly. So... The other thing that comes to mind is, if you remember uh, when the PS3 first came out, they had a game that I want to say was called Eye of Judgment. Um, It didn't use QR cards, because I don't think those were widely being used at the time, but uh, it used the PlayStation Eye and cards. Oh, yeah. I almost completely forgot about the PlayStation Eye. And you remember... Sony tried to sell those cards, but people found that you could just scan them like one person like scanned all of them and printed them out. And you could just print them out and use them because the camera couldn't tell the difference. It could just see the image and it would unlock whatever the corresponding item, character, etc. was. So I wonder if uh, Namco Bandai hasn't learned from that uh, lesson and they think that, oh, we're going to sell these cards like a secondary add-on just to have people turn around and go, well, shit, I can go on game FAQs or something like that, print them all out and play the game for the five minutes of novelty that it has. So Yeah, and it's it's so easy to scan things these days that I would not put it past anyone to put these things online. But so be it. I guess that's probably be online before the game release. <laughs> oh definitely. Alright, Corey, so I think that is the end of the news. So let's go ahead and jump right into our topic. Alright, so this week I decided we would talk about Akira Toriyama's manga process and its evolution. I will admit this topic almost wholeheartedly comes from a forum post that I had meant to respond to and just never got around. And in my haste the other day, I was going to respond and I decided, hell, I'm just going to use this as a podcast topic. So if anyone wants to go look up that thread, it was, uh, did Toriyama draw the artwork for the Kanzenban covers? So I figured let's go ahead and look at the evolution of his artwork. So we're going to start with the very beginning, and I figured we might as well just do a brief history of Toriyama's rise to fame. So Corey, take it away. Well, Toriyama didn't serve any apprenticeships under other manga authors, but rather started out at a design school before submitting a manga manuscript to a contest Shonen Jump was having at the time. It didn't win a prize. But Kazukiho Torishima, which is Toriyama's first editor, encouraged him, and he drew more and more manuscripts. In a year, Toriyama drew 500 pages of manga, all of which Torishima rejected for publication, but this process helped him improve. He finally debuted in Shonen Jump with Wonder Island, followed by several other short works, which eventually received enough positive response for him to get a weekly serialized manga, and the rest is history. And so it is history. And I just thought it would be a good idea if we did a brief history, because it really sets the tone of where he was coming from. He served no apprenticeship at all, which I can't 
particularly say is rare in the manga field of study, but you know, it seems to be fairly typical. You usually hear so-and-so studied under so-and-so, and here they are now. And you can kind of use whoever your teacher was to propel yourself forward into your career. But as we can see, Toriyama didn't have that. He comes from a design background, and he's even noted in some of his interviews that that's how he started out was in design. So he would draw one illustration for something, it would just be one image, and that would be it. So when it came time to actually start drawing a manga series, it took him a little while to get used to it, and Torishima saw the potential he had, and, you know, just kind of wanted to push him along until he figured it out, and I know Toriyama even said in his Daisenshu 1 interview that when he went to do the 21st Budokai, it was extremely hard for him to draw it, because... He wasn't used to drawing action scenes. He was used to drawing a single image that was stationary. And so it was just kind of hard for him to get used to that. But now that we know where Toriyama was coming from, I think it's time we move on to his assistants. Because those are the people that help Toriyama do what he does. Although Toriyama does note quite often that he did do the majority of the work. A lot of his assistants would only be around for maybe one day out of the week just to help him ink so that Toriyama could meet his deadline. But I think it's it's good to know who he worked with. Overall, Toriyama had two assistants, uh, but he would only hold one assistant at a time. So we would only have one person there with him. And he's posted pictures in magazines of his office, and there were two desks. It was him and whoever his current assistant was at the time, and they would just work right next to each other on inking days. So his first assistant uh, was actually not around very long, but we might as well note him. Uh, his first one who worked with him during the early phase of Dr. Slump was Hisashi Tanaka. Now, Tanaka has gone on to draw several other manga series on his own that have premiered in Weekly Jump, Monthly Jump, etc. So, you know, he went on to actually become a manga artist himself, but he left early on in Dr. Slump, really, when Toriyama was hitting his stride, becoming more popular. Uh, so, Corey, you want to lead us into the main assistant that most people might be familiar with. Well, the second and longer-lasting assistant was Takashi Matsuyama, who worked with him on the later part of Dr. Slump, all of Dragon Ball, which would, of course, be what most people here know and on Toriyama's post-Dragon Ball work. He's known primarily through his association with Toriyama and also as a maker of custom figurines. He made his debut as a standalone manga artist with a short series in Monthly Young Jump in 1987, and his illustrations have been featured in several magazines. He has also written two books, one on finding classic cars and another on building your own American-style house. I'd love to read that book. <laughs> that is something I'd actually... Also, the uh, finding classic cars. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to go out and find these just for the uh, novelty of them. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, he actually has his own website. So mm -hmm. some of that stuff may be on there. I, I haven't perused it myself, but we'll definitely throw a link up to that because you can see some of his artwork. And I think it does kind of tell the influences that he gained from Toriyama just kind of the way that he draws. But yeah, definitely interesting. So now we know Toriyama, we know his assistants, 
everyone's absorbed all this information and we're super smart now. So I think it's time we actually dive into his process. Now, I should note that through this whole thing, I'm not really going to be sourcing, you know, a ton of information because over the years, Toriyama has done numerous interviews, written things in the Tonka Bone, and that's where a lot of this information comes from. So if anybody wants to look it up, if you're still interested in it, um, I did make a couple notes of sources you should look up. Uh, super exciting guide. He kind of talks about his assistance in there, which at the time you would hear mostly about Matsuyama. But you can also look in the Shenlong Times that came with Daisenshu 4. You can look in his Daisenshu 1 interview, Daisenshu 6 interview, which is just him drawing, actually. Uh, throughout the entire interview, there's little pictures of him drawing Son Goku, and it's actually really kind of neat how he does it. But uh, what you should probably look at is some of the Tonkabone volumes. He actually discusses his process. I know specifically uh, volume two and volume eight. And then most of all, where a lot of the stuff comes from is Toriyama released a book back in May of 1985, which was called Toriyama Akira's Hitapi Manga Keikyujo, which is Lousy Manga Laboratory. So... It's really kind of funny. If if every, anyone wants to buy that, I highly suggest it because it's, it's broken up into three parts. And in the one part, he basically goes through and says, this is what you shouldn't do as a manga artist. Or if you want to screw up, do this. So it really doesn't teach you anything. He just teaches you what not to do. And then the second part, he actually does go over some tips that he has for beginning manga artists and it's it's just really kind of neat he's illustrated the whole thing uh the little toriyama bot appears but those would be sources people might want to check out anyway moving on toriyama's process basically begins where i think any other manga artist would begin which is developing the story now we know toriyama at this point i think most people are familiar with how he works, and he does not develop story well in advance. In Tonkabone Volume 2, somebody wrote in and asked him a question, and they said, well, how long does it take you to create one chapter? And Toriyama's response was, it takes me about five days to think up the story and then to draw it. And then he has to submit it, and that has to be printed. So, it, you know, it's a quite tight deadline that they have to come up with. I don't know if I could ever do that at the rate that we work, right? So he would go through, come up with a story, which would be about two or three days. And as he's coming up with story, he sketches along with it. So he kind of starts to create the pages themselves. You know, what panel is going to be what? What dialogue do I want to include? And a lot of it is just coming up with the dialogue. And later on, Toriyama even said in his first Daisenshu interview that when he got into the second half of Dragon Ball, he wasn't really as interested in drawing the pictures so much as he was coming up with the story. Because you have to remember, at the beginning of the series, a lot of the story was based on other things that he had come up with. Or, you know, prior works, Journey to the West. By the time he got to the Budokai, the, you know, we have Jackie Chan movies. He just wanted a tournament, things like that. So he would slowly just make up characters to fit in where he wanted. But it wasn't really until we got to that second half, what a lot of people refer to as the Z era, that he really started to think out the story a lot more. Not so much in advance where he would have an entire arc filled out, but he would kind of know where he wanted to go with it. 
but he was still creating it on a week-to-week basis, which some manga artists are good at, some not so much. But he did state that since he was putting a lot of emphasis on pictures, that he had to switch how he drew things. And he notes that he did it almost on purpose because he was taking so much time coming up with a story that he couldn't draw as nice and round and detailed as he used to in the past. I think by the time you get to the Majin Buu arc, I know I personally can really tell. You can see points where he was inking and the pen line doesn't quite meet up with the other pen line. So you have gaps in hair and things like that that he used to be really trivial about. But, you know, those things happen. Which is interesting because, I mean, what some people have looked at is his artistic evolution from the kind of the rounder drawing style of Dragon Ball that carries over kind of into the early Cyan arc, but then even by the end of that, leading to Frieza starts to give way to kind of the... I mean, if you look at Vegeta, for instance, at the very beginning that he shows up in Z, he looks, he melds in almost with your, you know, regular Dragon Ball arc characters in that same design, but then by, you know, the later parts of the Frieza arc, the Cell games, and then, of course, like you said, the Majin Buu arc, it's that completely different. Mm-hmm. I mean, A, he's looked, he looks like he's grown a few inches, but then he also has that more uh, lined appearance to him. It's a lot more straight uh, edges and so forth, as opposed to that kind of rounded facial mm-hmm. look to it. Yeah, he actually, he kind of jokes in his Dysenshi 1 interview. Uh, the interviewer asks him, can you describe all this? And he says, well... I would actually get a lot of postcards from fans while he was writing the series, noting that his lines are becoming straighter and the fans requested that he make them more round. And he said he's he's so perverse that the more people ask for it to be round, he would make them straighter. (laughs) That sounds about right. Yeah, which is weird because I, I know exactly where he's coming from. Sometimes I do things like that. You know what somebody expects, so you just keep doing the opposite of it. But Yeah, just to kind of give him a hard time. Yeah. So once he had the story down, I think we can move on to sketching. He would sketch it all out, you know, create the panels, the layout, what he wanted to follow. And then one day of the week, whoever his assistant was, and for Dragon Ball, it was Matsuyama, would come in and they would sit down and ink in one day. So usually Toriyama would have, you know, three to four days that he would come up with a story sketch everything out, and they'd start inking everything. Now, just on, I can't even remember where I read this, but based on some of his interviews, he would ink everything himself. I think he states this in Daisenshi 1, but he would ink and outline most everything himself, and his assistant, Matsuyama, would come in and basically fill in anything that had to be black. He would help him ink, and Interesting to note, Toriyama said that he would draw the backgrounds if it was the first time they showed up in the series, but otherwise he would just have his he would just have his assistant draw them if they've already, you know, existed because they would have material that his assistant could just use. So if there were lots of backgrounds that he had to draw, then he would just have his assistant do it because he didn't want to do it himself, (laughs) which we've all come to love Toriyama's laziness. He said in, I think it was the Super Exciting Guide, that the only reason that the Super Saiyan hair became blonde was he was tired of himself and Matsuyama having to ink in Goku's black hair all the time. So it's just kind of funny how he did some of that stuff. And then he'd also touched on some of the color stuff. If 
If anyone wants to know what materials he used, that's where you would want to look at the uh, Shenlong Times Volume 4. He goes through in detail, lists all the stuff he uses. He even lists the minor things like an ear pick that he uses because he has this nasty habit of picking the wax out of his ears while he's drawing. And of course, he's a smoker, so in all the shots of his studio or of him, he's usually always smoking. So he put on there in uh, Shenlong Times 4 that he smokes like, 100 cigarettes a day until he decided to kind of cut back. So I'm kind of happy he's still alive. But Yeah, seriously. So once they inked everything, he would move on. You know, he'd run it by his editor prior to inking, and they'd make sure everything matched up. Or sometimes he'd do it without checking with his editor. And as we've heard, other friends and past editors would come back and say, oh my God, why did you do this? I hate how these Jinzo Ningen look. That's horrible. So he would always take advice from anyone that he could. Um, One interesting note that I thought was he's noted at points that if things got really busy, he would have his wife come help him ink and color in Dragon Ball. So, just can you imagine that having the three of them in one room, sitting Sounds there? Sounds like the kind of thing I would do to my girlfriend. I know <laughs> my wife would be like, "Hell no, you you have fun with that." I don't think she's ever touched the website once, which she would probably delete it if she tried. Well, we did have the uh, cameo of her hand that one time pointing to the uh, what was it? The book that came with the U.S. Dragon Box. Yes, <laughs> because she had to hold it while I took the picture. She would, so she has contributed just in a uh, small. I'm sure I had to repay her in some way for that, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Exactly. (laughs) So let's see where. So I mean, that's basically his creative process. Um, He wouldn't use models so much unless it was a real world object. He's noted that he likes to use car models that he's built because you can turn everything 360 degrees. You can look at it from any angle, and he liked having realism like that. But when it came to characters. You know, he wouldn't have a a figure of it or anything in front of him. He would draw it from memory. And some of the interesting points that I found, at least perusing through Daisenji 1, was where he notes things like when he was doing things in full color, he would never really have a color palette in front of him. So even for main characters like Goku, for his orange dogi, he would just kind of guess what the orange was like. He wouldn't even look it up. And... He, he notes that there would be many in- instances where this would happen. So if a character had already existed and he was doing it in full color again, he wouldn't even look back to see what it was. He would just do it however he wanted. And that's where we end up with things like uh, Karin being different colors and Goku's dogi being different colors and Bulma's hair being different colors. It's not so much he had a preset defined color palette he was going by. It was whatever he chose that day, that's what he used because he was so damn lazy, he couldn't just go look it up or compare. And here we thought there was some sort of deeper meaning. Uh, there is a deeper meaning. He's lazy. So I I like those kind of aspects, knowing those sorts of things. And I, you know, I hope other people appreciate those as well. And it really kind of gives you that sense of not having to look into things too much because you can't really read into what Toriyama does because, well, one, half the time he didn't care or if you ask him about it now, he doesn't remember. So there's usually no hidden meeting. Yeah, he's always, I mean, he always struck me, and this was something from the first time I read about his development style, was just a really kind of seat-of-the-pants kind of uh, method of doing not only his art, but his story writing, mm-hmm. which 
you know, kind of, I guess, came to came back to buy him in the ass at some points because some people wondered, oh, hey, what happened to this character? And he's like, oh, who's that again? <laughs> yeah. Or he would forget things that he did. Uh, like in one of the uh, Ask Me Anything corners, a fan wrote in and said, hey, did you realize that uh, Yajirobe appears twice on the Tonkabon spine oh, yeah. art? And he's like, <laughs> no. And then he says he actually had to go look to verify that Actually, he did appear twice, and he didn't remember because, of course, he didn't go back and look. That's the beauty of it, you know. He's not—he's not a, a technician, really. He's someone that's very talented, obviously, and wrote something that we all love. But it's funny—people want to microanalyze it and look for sort of, uh, I guess, in-universe explanations for everything. But it's just so wonderfully simplistic. It's just, you know, he was—he's just a regular guy who's very talented, who came up with some great stories, and just kind of. Like you were saying, you know, he dealt with what he had in front of him on a given day and didn't really think of, I guess, the consequences in a long-term meaning or in a long-term, you know, uh, you know, way. And yet he still inspired so many other artists that are out there today. So it's just goes to show you, you don't have to be that uber-technical guy, I guess, that keeps notes on everything to make sure everything's tight and continuous and so forth. Oh, definitely. And I think that's that's one thing that I personally have always loved is that it is so simplistic yet at points so detailed and you almost question the detail cuz you're like, "Well, did he really mean to do that or was that an accident?" You know. It's Part of me also wonders just because he does, you know, you pointed it out earlier, you know, people wrote in and told him, "Hey, go back to the original more rounded style of draw- drawing." And he uh, kept going with kind of making it more straight and lined and so forth. Part of me wonders if this whole thing is just a front in some way. If he's almost like a quasi Andy Kaufman of manga artists. Where he's like, I remember all that stuff. I'm just going to have fun with him. He may be. You never know. And he'll never admit to it. That's the best part. It's the beauty of it. It's like a small, very small section of people in his life that know the truth. And all we can do is sit here and guess. So... In a nutshell, I think that that covers where he came from, how he got to where he was, and you just have to always remember when you're analyzing his work how much his own personality shows through in the fact that, I don't want to keep saying lazy, but he just so ambivalent about certain things that he just doesn't really care as much as what people make him out to care. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, it actually reminds me of something that... uh david lee roth said about van halen he said you know our fans were always more serious about van halen than we were and that kind of carries over to dragon ball in a way you know people want to like i was saying pick it apart and everything but you know from his own perspective and the things that he said toriyama never really put that much consideration into it Mm -hmm. you know it was just whatever was happening in a given week that's what happened and the next week it could be completely different oh definitely he would jump back and forth so much and i know van halen did that too They were all over the place. So to bring this around to where I was at the beginning of the topic, I noted that this all kind of popped in my head after I had read a thread about did Akira Toriyama draw the Kanzenban covers. So in short, yes, he did. And what a lot of people noted is, we don't really like how his style has changed. You know, is it really that different? And the thing is, his style has changed. And I think the biggest thing that we're going to discuss right now, which was actual my actual response that hasn't been posted yet, but we're just going to go through it, is the way that Toriyama actually draws his manga has changed. When he drew Dragon Ball, he had a pencil, 
a pen, a bottle of ink, and some paper. So that's all he used. And then he'd color it in. He'd use a ruler to make sure lines were straight and whatnot. And that was it. He would then copy it on his photocopier and send everything in to Shueisha to be printed in Weekly Shonen Jump. Now, the fun part is... While that wasn't entirely documented back then, since that point, we do actually have documentation of how Toriyama now draws his manga. And I think it's going to be interesting to compare and contrast between the two, because the interesting part is it really hasn't changed that much at all, except that now he added a computer into the mix. So prior to, I'm going to say late 90s, Toriyama drew everything on paper with a pencil, then he would ink it with the help of his assistant Matsuyama, and after they colored everything in, whether it be in black and white, red gray scale, or full color, they would send those manuscripts on to Weekly Shonen Jump through whoever his current editor was, and that was it. So there was no digital version of anything, no computers, you know, just straight up on paper. But in January 2000, Toriyama released a one-shot entitled Hio Tom, which was published in issue of E-Jump, which is a sub-magazine of Weekly Shonen Jump and V-Jump. Uh, I have no idea how many issues they have, but Jake picked this up when he was in Japan, and he gave it to me, and it has resided in my apartment ever since. So we're going to dissect this a little bit. I'll, I'll post this up when I post the podcast, but... I think it would be interesting to look at. So, in addition to this one shot, the magazine also published a five-page feature by Toriyama that showcased how he drew the one shot, which is essentially how he's drawn all of his one shots and anything else he's worked on post-Dragon Ball. It's also how he drew the Kanzenban cover art and the spine art. So, the feature details his creative process. It's very simple. Here are the steps. Are you ready for this, Corey? I'm on the edge of my seat. Rough sketch. So based on the story manuscript, Toriyama would sketch out the entire manga in pencil. He would pencil in the dialogue so he just know how it looked. And then all of his sound effects, which this is what he did in Dragon Ball, everything was always drawn in by hand. It was, you know, never text that was added later, which is always kind of a neat touch. I know um, his first editor really liked... I think it was Torishima really liked how he would draw in sound effects, especially he would draw them in English. So you would get like bam and whack and things like that. So it was always kind of neat. And then following his rough sketch, he inks it in with a pen. I hope this is all sounding familiar. And that's where the steps kind of diverge from where he was pre Dragon Ball to post Dragon Ball. So, up until this point, everything is exactly the same. He's inked it all. He's gone through and erased the sketch from underneath the ink with an eraser. And then he scans his manuscript into the computer. Now, the interesting point is they do actually note that he uses Photoshop. So he's scanning straight from his original manuscripts. My guess is probably at like 300, 400 DPI, whatever. And imports them into Photoshop. Then he touches them up, you know, any sort of little things. But he doesn't actually draw anything in Photoshop. Everything was done prior by hand. I know a lot of people have noted, well, I think his thicknesses are a little larger than what they used to be, things like that. And I think that the real trick to that was when he drew Dragon Ball, he used an actual fountain pen that he would dip 
into a bottle of ink and he would use that. And you can change the head on a fountain pen to get varying thicknesses. And that's just the way he did that. But in this walkthrough, he actually uses more of a felt tip pen, somewhat like a Sharpie, but very fine tipped. And when he scanned it in at such a high resolution, you kind of, you get that effect that the lines are thicker. Even at some points they may not be, but the felt tip would be thicker than what the fountain pen would be. So I think that's a lot of where that comes from because you have to remember he doesn't do anything in there besides add touch-ups. And then he goes through and he adds the color, any dialogue, things like that. And at this point, it's nice because he sets a palette of color that he can use through the whole thing so the characters are all the same color throughout. And then everything's saved digitally and... He essentially just emails it off to Shueisha and they do with it what they want. So I think that's a really good place to leave it because I don't know so much that you can attribute it to, uh, you know, line weights and things like that. It's his actual drawing style has just changed and he's noted before you ask him to make it more round. He makes it more straight. You ask it to not look like the Constant covers. He's going to keep doing it like the cons and bond covers. So I don't know. I don't know where else to go with that. I, I think that pretty much hits it on the head, don't you think, Corey? Yeah, I think that goes through the whole process and shows that while he's incorporated some digital elements, it still remains for the most part the same way it was. Yeah, he'd throw out a sketch, come up with an idea and go from there. The only thing that the computer was even used for was just to add touch-ups in color, which... I think would be really nice to add the colors in Photoshop and not have to color everything in by hand. Not only that, but you have the consistency that you wouldn't have with, you know, a pen or something like that. Mm -hmm. Plus, like you said, assuming he even avails himself, the fact that he has that consistent palette, you know, he wouldn't necessarily run into those same problems of, oh shit, what shade of orange am I going to use this week? Uh, I can mix this one real quick. Exactly. So, yeah, it's kind of nice. The only thing that you know, I would question is, I kind of liked the older look that Dragon Ball had of, you wouldn't always necessarily see brush strokes, but you could tell it wasn't computerized. Whereas you can kind of see a lot of that these days with the way he draws, you know, he'll add in noise and things like that to enhance it. And just little things that you notice here and there. But I think it's the right of the artist to evolve to what he wants his artwork to look like. And it's up to us to either appreciate it or not appreciate it. Can I just add that while I know a lot of people have kind of, like you said, even he's acknowledged it, have kind of favored the old style, I've kind of come to appreciate looking at, you know, um, the Majin Neko and the... Uh, oh, the, uh, definitely. The uh, Kanzenban. I kept wanting to say Kanzentai, but I'm like, no, no, that's no. website, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> or it was. Well, I think the one thing that you can say is, even if his artwork has slightly changed, I know for myself, it's always been really obvious that Toriyama drew it, whether it was Dragon Ball or Nako Manjin. He has a very definitive style, and even when his uh, contemporaries have, dri- have drawn, you know, the people that have worked with him have drawn his characters, you can still tell, you know, um, the small details that make Toriyama a Toriyama original versus 
an inspired piece of work. So with the topic done, I think let's just move right on. We don't have any releases to cover this week. At least I didn't look any up, but as far as I know, there aren't any at the moment. Uh, So we're going to do some emails and feedback, and hey, we don't have any emails either. So how can you contact us? Well, we haven't really sorted out the whole social media thing, Uh, but you can reach us on Twitter at K-A-N-Z-E-N-S-H-U-U. Uh, or you can fill out our contact form on the website. It's actually on every single page that you go to. So if you open that up, fill it out, we get it. You may not get a response right away, or maybe at all if you're just congratulating us on the website. You may not get anything because we thank you on the podcast. And if you haven't already, the forums are up. So if you want to get a hold of us that way, you can find us on the forums. Our podcast will now be going up on the forums. We'll be posting them on the homepage. You can comment now on news posts on the homepage. Everything's integrated. Everything's awesome. We got it all to work. It only took us a lot longer than we had planned on. And we thank everyone for putting up with us, getting this whole thing moved, worked out. Because trust me, getting the forum up was not really fun. I think Lost and I spent a couple nights working on it. And then even once we got the forum database moved over, then we had to work out all the kinks. And then I had to work out all the kinks in the website because the website didn't want to talk to the forum at first. So we had to work that out. And I'm just thankful it's all done. And we can relax. You know the only thing thing I am disappointed in? What are you disappointed in? I could reach both of your sites from my work, but for some reason the new site is firewalled. Oh my god. (laughs) So Daizenshu EX and Kanzentai, I could reach whenever, but the new site, Kanzenshu, is just automatically red flagged. Wow. It, it's because we have too many games on there for you to play. Right? You've got too many games and too much of the prawn. Oh, yeah. We've got a lot of prawn everywhere. Anyway, if you want to use the forums, you know, go for it. We love the feedback so far, so if you guys have any other comments, feedback, suggestions, we're always willing to take it. We're not always willing to use it, but it's there, and you can talk to us, and we'll talk back to you, and we'll have a conversation, and, you know, everything will get back to normal, which is really what we were hoping for. So for myself, for Corey over there, thanks for being on with me, Corey. Thank you, Heath, for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was the second episode of Consensu, the podcast. Next week, I have no idea what's going on. Mike has not told me. He's been out of town. We haven't talked. So something, I presume, is coming. Either I will be there or Mike will be there or we'll both be there. Who knows? You know, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants right now. So that's like Torian. Exactly. Thank you for wrapping it up that way, Corey. I appreciate it. So my for myself, for Corey, for Mike, for Mary, for Julian, for Jake, for all these people under one giant roof of awesomeness. Have a great weekend, everybody. Don't be like Toriyama. Don't be lazy. Do your work. And we'll see you next week. Have a good one. You think Mike just like takes a bat and he just hits people that walk by? Or like, what is this crap? I just imagine that vein in his forehead just throbbing out and him giving that you've gotta be fucking kidding me look. <laughs>
I could totally see that. Seeing like his eyes like glaze over, just one eye bigger than the other, just pulsating. 